time, uh, Fusion, Fusion Plus, you guys can uh, head off. We've got the helpers in the back. Uh, so now is probably an okay time to do that. Go, go, go. Enjoy your time. Parents, if you have uh, Fusion Plus or Fusion Kids K through 5, kindergarten through 5th grade, and you'd like to escort them over, uh, by all means, you are welcome to do that. Join them on the walk over to the gym. You'll also see uh, where you can pick them up. Well, good morning. How are we today? We good? Okay. There, yeah. All right. Wonderful. Marvelous. Well, <laughs> good. Well, we'll start with that. Uh, my name is Joe Garrison. It's a joy uh, to be back before you up here. I I'm the student pastor, so I primarily deal with 6th through 12th graders. I hang out with them, uh, spend time with them on Sunday nights throughout the year, and then we do tons of fun stuff in the summer. Uh, but it's fun to also uh, be up here occasionally. It's nice to see kind of everybody in your bright, warm, and smiling faces. And as I was preparing for the sermon, uh, my mind went to the word debt. I know, I know. Fun guy in the room. Here he is. Uh, yeah, everybody, the thing that everyone loves to talk about, uh, debt. And so I did a simple Google search uh, and typed in debt, and boy, my I was overwhelmed with what I found, how to get into debt, how to get out of debt, the debt ceiling, uh, the definition of debt, and on and on and on debt went. And a couple ones that I particularly uh, looked through, one was that as Americans, uh, we've done it, facetiously here, uh, we have eclipsed $1 trillion in credit card debt here in America. Uh, so there you go. There, uh, just this past week that happened, so that's late news, uh, brand new news for us. Another one, though, that I went to was uh, usdebtclock.com. Have you ever been there? Anybody? <laughs> Spare time. I don't know why you... But maybe you have. Uh, one person in the first service had nobody here. That's okay. Uh, I've done it now multiple times. It is overwhelming, uh, this webpage, because on it are... I tried to get a picture, but it just wouldn't have done it justice. Uh, but you can look it up later. Red font everywhere. Numbers going up constantly. It's overwhelming for the eyes to see the thousands of dollars of debt as well as a number of other ancillary items uh, moving here and there and everywhere. And then the third and the final kind of page that I clicked on uh, was one that was entitled by Forbes, Gen Z braces for its first student loan repayments. Come October of this year, Gen Zers, which 1997 to 2012, give or take a year, uh, that's generally what they're thought to be born in, uh, that time frame. They, uh, many of them, graduated during the COVID years, and so now they are starting in October to repay their student loans for the first time. Maybe some of you know that, and yeehaw. So come October, uh, you join with 46 million other people uh, to pay off around, give or take, a million or a billion here, $1.6 trillion of loan debt astounding uh, numbers of debt, and yet that's just sort of maybe for some of us that's a little further out, uh, but in our own day-to-day -day lives, right, we deal with debt often. Uh, mortgages, right? You have a mortgage on your home, 10, 15, 20, 30, now 40-year mortgages you can get, uh, right? We're reminded each month that we are indebted uh, to that financial institution to pay off our home. Others, you might have some credit card debt that you're working with or dealing with, uh, to pay that off, um, and many of you might even have a car loan. Uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt mentioned the purchase of our purple palisade uh, in our family. 
Uh, it was a big decision, minivan, third row SUV with a third kid on the way. We decided to go to the third row SUV. We love it. It's great. It's purple, maroon, some other kind of color. It's not purple. I can't say that. But anyway, it is what it is. We have one. Uh, but now, every month, in fact, just yesterday, while I was kind of, you know, looking through my sermon, I just kind of laughed. I got a nice email from Hyundai Motor Financing reminding me of our payment that's due. Uh, and so we are indebted to them for a number of months until we pay that off. And while all of these things, we can find ways to repay, we can have those good budgeting practices, Dave Ramsey or whoever else, as we come to our text for today, all of us, every single person in the room are reminded of a debt that we could never pay, the debt of our sin to God the Father. We've arrived at the fifth uh, kind of petition here in the Lord's Prayer. It's only one verse, but it packs, I think, a noticeable punch, and it challenges us to evaluate how we live and also how we pray in light of the gospel of Jesus. And so it's going to challenge us two things here today, to not only confess our sin daily and receive God's forgiveness, but then also to be a people who go and extend that forgiveness to others. And so let's read uh, the Lord's Prayer up until this point, and then we can begin to chat through. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Pastor Ray reminded us last week about how daily we need to uh, rely and trust that God will provide for our needs and be content in the midst of uh, as God provides. And this week, uh, we come thinking of our spiritual need, particularly our need for forgiveness from our debts, or as Luke says in his rendition, sins. We have an incalculable debt, a debt that could never be paid because of our sin. Romans 3 says that uh, there's no one righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of what God requires of us. That's a heartwarming message here this morning. It's the condition of man before a holy God. But the good news is, right, God in his rich mercy and grace does not leave us in that condition. He sends Jesus to be the Savior, to be our substitute, to be our Redeemer. And Jesus is the one who pays for our sin fully and finally, past, present, and future because of his work on the cross and in his resurrection. Right, this is the good news of the gospel but the question is, if our sin has been fully and finally paid for, if the relationship with God is now a saving one, it has been established as one, then why does Jesus tell us that we ought to daily confess and seek the forgiveness of our sins? And to help us think through that, uh, we're going to look at the first part of verse 12, receiving God's forgiveness. We're going to look at three things, our need for confession, our confidence in confession, and our frequency in confession. And so first, our need in confession. Well, frankly, confession of our sins is needed because, well, we're still broken. We're still sinners each and every day. And while that sin does not separate us from a saving relationship with God, thank you, Jesus, 
it still affects, hampers our relationship and the fellowship that we have with our Heavenly Father. And so therefore, it needs to be addressed. And yet, isn't it so true that for one reason or another, we, it's hard to admit sin. We really don't love to do it. And what ends up happening is that when we, if, when we don't admit or when we hide our sin, uh, we, we feel similarly to what David says in Psalm 32, verse 3, which we oftentimes read when we confess, right? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a camp in France. Uh, it was a wilderness-themed camp. Uh, and I didn't know at the time that there was also an English-speaking camp that we could have gone to. Uh, that would have really helped with the language barrier. But uh, we went to this wilderness camp, and it was wonderful. It was a great place to be. Um, but as part of that, we spent three days hiking and camping in the French Alps. Now, there's going to be a photo. That, yep, there. That's beautiful. Uh, that's not exactly where we hiked. I'd like to be able to say that that there I am in the back. You can see me. Trust me, it's a shadow or something. Um, but it was an amazing experience. It was wonderful uh, to be out in God's creation and really just to see these little towns and little hamlets kind of tucked in around as you're hiking through. But it was also really challenging. We're going up eight, 10,000-foot mountains. And so up and down, and we're carrying all our stuff with us. So we've got our food, we've got our clothes, we've got the tent, all that kind of junk we've got in our backpacks, and here we go carrying it through. And so while stunning and wonderful, it was a grueling hike. And that's the weight, that's the burden that I envision for those who fail to continually confess their sin, that they're carrying, right? That they're carrying this backpack that is weighing them down. That every time refusal or a or just kind of ignoring sin, the pack gets a little harder to pick up. Despite being free in Christ, in fact, we're still actually really living as a slave to our sin. And eventually, right, the weight of, of our failures and our guilt, it just wears us down, right? Here, here's uplifting, right? It just, but it just brings us down. It saps our joy, and we forget sometimes even the wonder of God's grace, to us in Christ. Have you ever felt like that? Just been carrying your sin. So that's the result of us not confessing. And so the question is, why do we continue to avoid it? Why do we continue to carry the burden of sin alone? And for this, I have uh, four, four kind of thoughts. One, I think it could be because, frankly, right, sin, sin is difficult to confess. It's embarrassing. We're ashamed Confessing sin is humbling. When we come face to face with how we've wronged God, with how we've blown it again and again. Secondly, I think it could be that we don't think maybe God can handle it. You know, we might say things like, if God just knew how sinful I was, he would, he would never forgive me. Or if I admit this to God, it's clearly going to show him that I'm not following him as I should. Well, newsflash. God, the one who has created the universe, God, the one who has made you and knows your first and your last day, knows the depth of your sin. And he even knows that many times 
where we fall short and we're not even made aware of it. He knows who you are, and yet he purchased you through Christ. Three, maybe it's because we don't think we're actually that bad and we can maybe handle it ourselves. You know, God, hey, you've got a lot of other people to worry about. I've got this one. You know, I could deal with this alone. If I just try harder, if I just work more at this, right, here's that works righteousness that just comes out of us. God, if you let me keep dealing with this, eventually I'll make my way to the top. Or fourth, could it be that if we confess, then that also might mean we have to confess some other things because we've sort of left, lived this uh, you know, split life where uh, we've kind of given this aspect of things to God and we said, God, you're welcome in all these rooms in my heart. Here you go, have your fun. But this room in the back, uh, no, 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 I'm enjoying actually that. I'm going to hold on to that. And yes, I know, I, maybe the paint's, you know, kind of coming off the wall. There are cobwebs in the corners and, uh, you know, there are some nail marks and everything that need to be fixed. But really, you should be looking at somebody else. Uh, Carol over there. Francine, Winston, whoever it might be, they've got the real issue. They've really made a mess of things. You should help them and work with them because I'm doing just fine. Yet the command from Jesus is clear. Believers in Christ are called to continually believe who we really are. Sinners saved by grace. And then we're called to go and confess our sin and receive the Father's forgiveness so that nothing can hamper that relationship, so the fellowship can be restored, and in fact, so that we can continue to grow into a deeper knowledge and love for him and what he's done through Jesus. And so the question is, when we confess, how can we know that God will forgive? And that's our confidence that we can have in confession. Well, God says as much in his word. 1 John 1, 9, we talk about it, we read it, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we say that God is faithful, right, it means that we can rely on him to do what he says he's going to do. While we still will continually sin from now until eternity, awaiting that time when we will not any longer, when we fight the old nature of sin, God will time and again forgive us. He's slow to anger, he's forbearing, he's merciful, but he does it and he's faithful to forgive because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And unlike humans, we, we tend to uh, you know, forgive someone, we say, and then we kind of keep it in our back pocket for a really bad moment later where we want to kind of jump out and surprise people with it. No, no, no. Our Heavenly Father does not hold on to our failings. He graciously forgives and releases us from the guilt of our sin. He incurs that cost. In Psalm 103, we see similar language. As far as the east is from the west, God removes our transgressions from us. And while God is faithful to forgive, he is also just. God didn't lower the standard of his holiness, somehow make exceptions for us despite our sin. Jesus came and drank the full cup of God's wrath against sin so that we can be saved. We know that this is the gospel. Here we go again. And so now when we confess, we don't confess to God as a judge. There's no condemnation now as we come to him, but rather because of Christ and his finished work, we come to him as our heavenly father. That's why the prayer begins, our father in heaven. Right? We have that relationship with God, with the whole universe as our father. And like any other good parent, he, 
our Heavenly Father invites us to bring all of who we are, all of the failures, all of the successes before him so that he might shower his love upon us, continually forgiving us where we fall short and drawing us into a deeper relationship with him. Forgiven people confess sin. But now we get to the frequency in our confession. Right? This confession of sin is not meant to be a once-for-all time, but should rather be a continual, a daily part of our walk with Jesus. And the reason that we're to confess daily is because in confession, we're gradually made more and more aware of where we've blown it, which more and more has us rely and cling to Christ's finished work as our only hope. That is our hope. It's not found in ourselves. It's a reminder when we daily confess, it keeps us from thinking, I'm not that bad. And it makes me think of, and I don't know if you've seen these before, the coloring scratch pads that uh, seem to be all the rage right now. My kids uh, love these things. I'll tell you what, this is an artist's, uh, a bad artist's dream canvas, right? Because you can't mess this one up, okay? You really can't. All you do is it starts black, uh, and then you begin to scratch, and the picture magically appears, and you see more and more of it. It's truly amazing. And despite the fact that I can't stand cleaning it up um, because the little remnants kind of get in everything, all over your table, all over your floor, and it's impossible to clean. If anybody has any cleaning advice for it, I will take it later. But as you scratch that picture, right, gradually you see more and more of what the picture should look like on the box. And similarly, when we begin to confess our sin, we might think it's just uh, the one main thing that we need to deal with, but as we come before God daily confessing sin, right, he, we scratch that pad off a little more, and he makes us aware of the other places and the more and more places where we need his saving grace. And so in light of that, what could it look like for you to add confession to your daily prayer life? What could it look like to add it into your schedule of your day. Maybe it's taking some time in the morning uh, or during your lunch break to reflect and confess how you've lost your temper recently with a family member or how you've been partaking maybe in the hurtful office gossip. Maybe it's taking some time during a study hall to confess how you've wanted to do well in school and your grades matter, but it's raised to a level where it has become an idol for you. And the rising and falling of your heart is dependent on the grade. Maybe it's time to confess that. Now, with anything like this, we can be guilty because we're wired for law. We're so good at this of becoming legalistic, right? And we can kind of do this in a couple different ways. One, we can begin to kind of daily check the box. We say, oh, confess today. I'm good to go. Here I go. But really, there's no sorrow for sin. It's not might even just be kind of we put our prayer on autopilot and we go, God, you know, I know I blew it today, uh, rough one. Hey, I'm a sinner, uh, forgive me. But it's not specific to anything. It's just this generic whatever. And yes, that's, that matters. You are a sinner. But when we leave our prayer time like that, I oftentimes think that we still have the backpack or burden of sin. We're still carrying that because we truly haven't come forward and confessed that to our Lord. We truly haven't come forward and said, I actually want to change too. I want to be different, Lord. Help me be different. I want to repent of that. The other thing is we can go the opposite route, right? We can think that somehow if we confess more, uh, that we're somehow adding more notches on our belt and when we get to eternity, 
You know, that they might roll out the red carpet for us when we arrived because we go, wow, this guy was confessing 12 times a day. It was amazing. They were just always confessing sin, and it becomes this thing that we just do in some way we are earning more of God's favor. And yet, friends, we know that we aren't any more loved than we are in Christ. But it's just another picture of us trying to earn what God has already freely given us because of Jesus. And so what does your time of confession look like? Is there something that you need to confess? Because when we confess, we get to experience the forgiveness of God in marvelous ways. And that then frees us up to participate in the second part of this couplet, and that's where we'll get to now, the forgiveness of others, right? Extending that same forgiveness of others. And so here we go, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, right? Forgiven people confess sin and extend forgiveness to others. In Matthew 18, 21, Jesus is talking with his followers, and Peter steps up on the scene and asks a question. He says, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me and I forgive them as many as seven times? For Peter, this seemed like a valid question. At some point, the forgiveness serum runs out, and so therefore, he is able to execute judgment on that person who has offended them. Now it's my time. They reached number eight. That doesn't seem too far off from our culture now, does it? Right? Some social media personality or some celebrity that we like uh, to follow blows it. You know, whether in the past or whether in the present, uh, they say something they shouldn't have, they do something they shouldn't have, and all of a sudden the world speaks, the world judgment court speaks and says, you've really blown it this time. No second chances, no reconciliation, no forgiveness. We the people have spoken. You must pay for your debt. Even if this person is expressing sorrow and regret for sin, it doesn't matter. It's over. It's been determined. So in response to Peter's question, right, Jesus tells a story that's going to help reframe his mind and show him that true forgiveness is not a game of counting. But rather, it's an act of releasing someone from a debt and incurring that cost. So he says, Jesus says, there are two servants here. Right, with varying degrees of debt. If you've if you got an ESV study Bible, you'll be able to see that you know, they've wonderfully done the math for you. you know, all the equations, it's turned out to be about $6 billion in debt or something like that. Okay, massive amount of money. Okay, Never going to repay. Other person, not pocket change by any stretch of the imagination, but around twelve grand. Okay, So Jesus says there are these two guys. Well, the master comes to the first servant, the one with a massive debt, and says... Said, I'm going to sell you, your family, everything you've got until payment is made. He's the master. He can do this. Servant realizes, oh boy, I'm not in good shape here. And seeks mercy because he's going to lose everything. And he falls down before his master asking for mercy and time to pay it back, which it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't be one lifetime. It would be multiple uh, before he would even be able to think about starting to make a dent into that debt. And the master, in response, shows mercy. He assumes the debt and releases the man from that obligation. He well knows that he is never going to receive that money, despite this man's best intentions of working it off. Wasn't that a wonderful picture of how God has treated us? Right, We have a debt, our sin, that we could never pay for. And God sends Christ and says, 
payment received, I'm going to incur that cost. God's forgiveness is the foundation. It is the means by which we're then able to go and forgive others. And so here's the chance for the servant. Apply what he's been learning. Here he goes, piddles on down the road, and he runs into his buddy. He says, hey, you owe me some money, time to pay up. Don't think he learned the lesson, right? Instead of learning, he shows no mercy. He throws this servant in prison until he can pay. So word gets back to the master, and the master says, well, fine, you're going too. You clearly don't get this. And he puts the servant in until he repays the $6 billion. How often are we the forgiven servant with other people who've wronged or hurt us? The one who has been forgiven much, and then we come and see it's still a real offense. Someone has still really hurt us, and yet we go, not today, friend, not today. See, we like to think that there's a limit to forgiveness until it comes to our own need for it. And then we want it as many times and as often as possible. Now I'm aware that we need to tread carefully with the topic of forgiveness, right? Because oftentimes it involves heartache, sorrow, pain, trauma. Someone has offended Someone has hurt you, demeaned you, offended you, and so it's going to cost you something to extend forgiveness to them. And so what would it look like? What would genuine forgiveness look like? Well, forgiveness in its fullest sense involves the guilty party coming before the offended party, a transaction of sorts, and the guilty party says, I've blown it. I've missed the mark. I have failed you. I did this, and I was wrong, and they repent, and they commit to turning away from it, and in response, the offended party hears that and says, I extend to you. I incur that cost, that debt, and I forgive you, and I'm not going to hold on to this for future revenge or to remind you down the road down the road. I don't require anything else from you. And yet as I say that, forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't consequences, that there's not discipline as a result of our sin. Right? If a parent forgives you for posting something that you shouldn't have posted or looking at something that you shouldn't have looked at on your phone, uh, they might forgive you and they should forgive you, uh, but they might take your phone for a little while. Right? Consequences are still there in reality. If someone continues to hurt you physically or emotionally, it doesn't mean that you need to come right back to them and say, hey, I forgive you. Let's have the relationship look exactly the same as it did before. There might be wisdom in stepping back for a time or uh, away from a person even if you see that there is no aspect of, of change happening, no intent on their end to even seek help. One of the greatest places that we can see uh, forgiveness worked out is in the marital relationship where two redeemed but still broken sinners are united together to live, to love, to grow, and I love this, to prepare one another for eternity with their king. Right? To marriage, to prepare one another to be in eternity with our Savior. Just days after my wife Ashley and I got married, um, I had the chance to witness forgiveness in, in our own marriage. And it wasn't the last time, but it was the first, I think. And no, I wasn't the one who came out on top in this one. I was the offending party. 
As I say that, I, this was at a time when I was a bachelor uh, down in the southern end of Lancaster County. And so six years I served at a church there, and I was uh, always uh, invited over to people's homes. People were very gracious. They were loving. They saw me. They said, you don't eat enough. Uh, you can't cook for yourself, which I can't. Uh, my staple menu, I always told the first service, it's uh, chicken, uh, noodles, and barbecue sauce, a little bit of cheese sprinkled on top. Really good meal uh, if you're looking for something quick. But they said, we want you to come over. Come over to our house. We'd love to have you. And it was a wonderful way to build a relationship with those families and connect with their kids. And every it was just great. Um, so I need to give you that background. Not that I'm defending myself. I need to be clear here. You'll see that. The long and short of it is that after we got married, and we were trying to remember exactly when this was, we took a few days away, and then we were home for a week before we went on our honeymoon. So this was the week in between. Probably the, I think it was the first, Ashley says maybe the second, but I think it was the first night that we were scheduled to eat dinner together. And she had prepared this great feast. I don't even remember what it was. I probably should remember. Uh, but she had prepared a great feast, and I wasn't home at the time. Uh, where I was was out at someone's house, like I had always done. I'd been invited over. I was doing my job, spending time with people. And then dinner came. I said, sure, I'll stay for dinner. I'd love to have dinner with you guys. This is great. We do this all the time. So there I am eating dinner. It's wonderful. Get a phone call from Ashley, kind of just about to eat, or, man, we might just be a little bit into it. Ashley calls, and she goes, hey, where are you? I said, well, I'm eating dinner. This is great. I said, where are you? I just cooked dinner for us because we're married, and I thought you'd be home. Fair point. Uh, Okay, and you think at this point, right? You think at this point, this would be the chance where I would learn. No, 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 no. <laughs> Three days into marriage, folks, please. And so I said, oh, you know, you'd think I'd run home at this instant. Oh, my goodness, I got to leave. My wife made dinner for me. We got to go. I'm so sorry. I'll see you later, blah, 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 blah. No, I stayed for the whole meal. <laughs> Not wise. Not wise. I blew it uh, within a few days of us getting married. It was a big mistake because Ashley sat there with cold food, waiting for me, and I came home, and yeah, forgiveness was needed in that moment. It was a learning moment for us in our marriage. I learned that when dinner's made, you need to be home for it, because it matters. So I confessed, and I said, I, I blew it. I did, and I'm hard-headed to learn, but then to hear in my confession, and then to hear her words of forgiveness that were offered disarmed me. And it brought me back one more time. It reminded me of the grace I've been shown by God. Unfortunately, though, not every life situation provides the opportunity for two parties to come together and work out forgiveness. Right? Oftentimes, people will hurt and offend others and just move on their way and never come forward even admitting anything was wrong. And so what do we do then? I think the words of Puritan Thomas Watson fit well. In regards to forgiveness, he says, we strive against all thoughts of revenge when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. It's about having an attitude of forgiveness, even if the opportunity doesn't uh, present itself to have forgiveness fully worked out. But we don't hold on, but rather, right, we assume, we incur that cost, prepared to extend forgiveness if and when the opportunity arises. 
while ultimately leaving any justice to the one who judges perfectly. And so who is it that you need to forgive? Or perhaps are you the one who needs to seek forgiveness from someone else? Might I encourage you not to allow pride uh, to take root and tell you that your sin's not that bad or it really wasn't that offensive. I didn't really hurt anybody. But rather go to that person. Of course, go to God and confess. We have grow groups here that are wonderful accountability places where a couple people can get together and they can confess sin. They can read scripture together. They can encourage you. Tell your grow group to pray for you. But then go and confess that sin. Seek the forgiveness of the one that you've offended and rest ultimately in the forgiveness that the cross offers, trusting then moving forward God's spirit to change and to grow you. And so we need to be able to offer forgiveness, but what's the reason? Why do we? Well, simply put, forgiven people forgive people. Made a joke at the first service. I'd like that to be made into a bracelet or something that people could wear, sort of like WWJD. But I don't think it's going to take off. FPFP doesn't have the same kind of ring. But forgiven people forgive people. When we understand the depth and the wonder of the gospel, we're left with nothing but thankfulness, joy, and a desire to forgive others as we've been forgiven in Christ. Right? That's the response that we should have, a willingness to forgive because of the great debt that we've been forgiven. And if we're unwilling to do that or unable to move past that, even after they've come maybe and expressed genuine repentance and genuine remorse for how they failed, then it shows that maybe we've never truly grasped the depth of our own sin and what it cost for Christ to pay for it. We're holding out on them, in a sense saying, God's forgiveness is good enough for me, but well, for you, maybe not necessarily. John Stott says this, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves we have minimized our own. Every day, we need to be open and willing to forgive others in this body, in our home, and in the places where we go. Because if the world is ever going to grasp true forgiveness, if we want God's kingdom to continue to break into this world and transform hearts, then it needs to start here among us needs to start here in this body where confession and forgiveness be something that we particularly major in. I leave you with these words of Ephesians 4.32 to kind of guide us in that endeavor. Be kind, tenderhearted, willing to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Friends, forgiven people confess sin and extend forgiveness to others. Well, today I want to leave you with this story from Corey Ten Boom's own life. For those who don't know, Corey and her family were instrumental in hiding Jews in their family home in Holland during World War II. They were eventually caught and sent off to a concentration camp, and family members died, but she was set free near the end of the war. I just want to read a little excerpt from part of her story about an opportunity where she had to offer forgiveness to one who had deeply hurt her and her family. Here are her words. It was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. 
I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me with his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will, I said, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Friends, we've been forgiven much, much more than we could ever possibly imagine. Do we live like it? Do we eagerly come before Christ, confessing our sin, not so that we can somehow earn God's love, but rather so that we can remember that love that he showed us in forgiving us? Do we not just confess, but seek to have genuine repentance where we actually uh, don't pretend we're better than we really are, but we're honest about our need? Who in your school, on your team, in your work, at your home, need to hear the words, I forgive you? Not because you've made it, not because you're above them, but because the Spirit has impressed on you the fact that forgiven people confess their sin and go extend that forgiveness to others. If you'll notice in the text, there's a corporate piece to this confessional prayer. Not just forgive me, but forgive us. And it's in light of that that I thought it would be a fitting end to our time today to end with a time of silent confession. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close this in prayer. And then as the band makes their way up here, uh, we'll take some time to silently confess your sin. And then we'll close with our final two songs. Let's pray. Father, we fail uh, far more than we are even aware. We think the wrong thing. Uh, we do the wrong thing. We avoid people. We fall short of what you require us time and again. And yet in your mercy and grace, you extend forgiveness to us.
all because of our Savior Jesus. While we'd like to say that it's somehow something in us that merits this forgiveness, we know that it's a gift, a gift that Jesus paid for us, paying the debt that we could never pay. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you for the work that you have done and continue to do, and that you forgive us, and by the power of your Spirit, you actually draw us to be different and to change. May we show you just the beginnings of the mercy you showed to us when those whom we know and those who we are around break our trust and hurt us. Not so that it might continue, but so that they might experience the wonderful forgiveness that can only be found in your Son. And so now may we take just a few moments to reflect, to think through even just this past week where we have fallen short of your glory, but yet how we have a greater Savior.